Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Endon. I'll, I won't uh, lie to you. We, this is about the sixth attempt we've made to start recording. There might be a slight uh, technical issue this week. Michael McMullen is there, hopefully. And hopefully he will still be there throughout. But we've just had a few problems with the connection. But uh, you can hear me now, yeah? Yeah, absolutely fine. This might be the time it works. Let's hope so. Well, uh, this week we're going to be uh, making some wild predictions about the identity of the top 16 qualifiers for the Crucible, or rather the 16 who are going to play the top 16. Qualifying, of course, starts next week in Sheffield. Uh, and we'll also have some emails. But first, of course, I suppose the big news of uh, the week has been out of China. Um, it's been announced that there will be no international sporting events in China for the rest of the year, the ongoing coronavirus issue of course and that includes at least three planned snooker tournaments because the actual calendar for next season hadn't been hadn't been released but we expected Shanghai Masters the China Championship um, and the International Championship possibly the World Open as well so three or four tournaments there that were supposed to be before Christmas are not going to be now this ties into an email I've had from Ben Donnell who writes uh, while it may be a bit premature given how the current season is still to conclude what are your informed thoughts on where and when Next season will get underway with the news that apparently professional international sporting events are to be forbidden in China for the foreseeable future. Do you feel this may lead to a wholesale rejigging of the calendar? What do you consider the prospects to be for other established tournaments in the UK and mainland Europe over the months to come, given the uncertainty as to second waves of COVID-19 and the resumption of large indoor events in front of audiences? Well, Ben, I mean, I remember being at the Welsh Open and this was in February. So this was before, you know, the coronavirus came to British shores. And I spoke to one of the WST executives there and they were already planning then uh, preparations for next season, the, the coming season, in case they couldn't go to China. So it was already on their radar then. Of course, in the meantime, things seemed to have changed. And it, in, in many ways, it looked like China actually got it under control and it was more a Europe, become more of a European problem in terms of snooker. This is what I expect to happen. I think they, they're going to try and put tournaments on in the UK. So I already, of course, norm, in normal circumstances, the three home nations events are on before Christmas, the English, Northern Ireland, Scottish Opens. I th- think it's very likely the Welsh Open will move forward to be before Christmas. 
You could also do that potentially with the European Masters. You know, we are still in Europe. So you could actually play that in Britain. Um, and maybe even the first event of the Coral Series, the World Grand Prix. I mean, the thing about that is obviously it's top 32 on the one-year list, so you need a certain number of tournaments. Add in, of course, Champion of Champions and UK Championship. That's actually a lot of snooker to be played before Christmas. And, of course, what they want to do next year, if it is possible to go back to China, is to leave a nice hole, say, a month or so, six weeks, to potentially play three tournaments in a row. So, you know, things are changing, aren't they, by the day, by the week, and there's a lot of planning going on and a lot of contingencies, but I think that, that will happen. And I think what actually it means is that I think one of the weaknesses of our sport has actually become a strength. I think one of the weaknesses is actually that it's so British-dominated. But actually, in this particular climate and this sort of global emergency, in terms of getting tournaments on, it could be a help because it could be that you just get a raft of them in Britain and then in the new year after the Masters, and I guess the German Masters, it's off to China if they will allow us in. There's been nothing official on this and, you know, we're waiting for next season's calendar, but that would be my uh, analysis of it. Yeah, you know, what you say there, I mean, that's absolutely true. You look at, you know, Wimbledon, gone by the wayside, the Open Championship, which would have been on this week, actually, on exactly the same way. And it's because they can't get the fields together because they're so international. Now, players who aren't from Britain, most of them are based in Britain, in snooker. So that's why we're able to have a viable world championship. And the scenario you've outlined there, which probably is what we're looking at at the moment, it's basically turning the season inside out because we've been used to this in recent years. We start off with mostly China in the early part of the season, and then it becomes very UK dominated in the second half of the season. What we're looking at 2020 to 21 is the other way around. But it's like everything. It's everything that you plan is completely provisional. Even this foreign world championship is provisional at the moment. And as you alluded to last week, it could start and not even necessarily finish. So that's the situation we're in at the moment. And I think there's a lot of assumption being made about things that if they get called off this year, well, we'll next year. But that may not necessarily be the case. You look at, say, for example, something like the Masters Golf, which was supposed to be on in April, being scheduled for November. There's an assumption that it'll be back on in April next year. But the way things are heading in the United States at the moment, you can't really assume that at all. So all that can be done by WST is get a calendar out, make it aspirational. And even if they do get the events on in the slots they're planning to, there's no way of knowing whether or not there'll be any sort of crowd in. I mean, you think the Masters, Alexander Palace, it's so much about the crowd, but you could plan it for January, plan to have a crowd there, sell tickets, and really perhaps not even know until a week beforehand whether or not there'll be anywhere anyone able to come in and watch it at all. So await with interest some sort of a calendar, which I imagine at the latest will come out sort of by the end of August, uh, and then, you know, you, you have to be fair to WSB. There's only so much they can plan because they just can't rely on anything at the moment. No, much much like uh, our internet. Uh, I've got most of that. You, you cut out a little bit. It may be, uh, hopefully, when people hear it back, it'll be fine. But if not, I apologise. Mm. This, this is not a new situation for us, although the last few weeks have been OK. But anyway, it's kind of tradition. But, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. And, uh, of course, the shootout I didn't mention. But, I mean, there's, there's literally – I mean, I know not everyone likes that in bed anyway, but there's literally no point having that at all if there's no crowd because the whole thing is – He's based around a crowd. Um, we just don't know. I mean, there's talk, talks of second waves. We just don't know. I mean, obviously, we all hope he's not, he's not going to come, but uh, we're going to see, obviously, in the, in the next few months. Anyway, we're going to get on with the rest of the emails. The first one is from Hugh O'Donnell. This is about the World Championship. Hugh says, I have to take issue with the snooker experts that say Ding is the best player never to win the World Championship. Jimmy White is hands down 
the best never to win it. The old saying, you can only beat what's there at the time, springs to mind. But the fact that Jimmy has been to the one-table setup on 10 occasions, six finals, four semifinals, is impressive. Ding has reached the one-table setup on three occasions, two semis and a final. Jimmy could have and maybe should have retired at least 10 years ago. His last visit to the Crucible was 2006. For that reason, I think Jimmy's career has been insignificant as regards winning the World Championship for the last 15 years. Can anyone see Ding's Crucible record coming close to that? I certainly can't. Ding has been around for 16 years now. Ronnie hasn't been to the semi-final the last six years, which is unbelievable for the best player ever to pick up a cue, all the while producing some of the best snooker during that period. Just goes to show how difficult it is. Anyway, I'd love to see Jimmy win one. I would have loved to have seen Jimmy win one. I hope Ding does in the future. But I'm not sure Ding has the appetite for it. I hope I'm wrong. Well, there's a couple of things to say here, Hugh. First of all, mentioned, I think, last week, Ding, the fact Ding's come over from China made a special effort to come suggests he is motivated this year. The other thing to say is we did discuss this not so long ago, a few weeks ago, and I think we agreed that Jimmy is definitely top of that list. I mean, Jimmy Wyatt, at least two years, should have, should have won it, no doubt about it. So, for me, he is, he is top of the list. I, I know other people have said other things, though. Yeah, I, I have to say, I've never heard anyone say that Ding was the best player ever in the World Championship. Maybe it has been said, but it's it's not a widely held at all. There's no real discussion about it. And I suppose, saying before, it depends what you're basing it on. Are you saying the best player overall who hasn't won the World Championship? Or are you saying the player who's done in the world championship without ever actually winning us. And certainly if it's the latter category, there's not even a conversation to be had there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. If, if there's a, a, a to who's the best player never to have won it, Jimmy is definitely the answer. Can you imagine, though, what it would be like if, if it had happened? Because you, you remember 2004, thereabouts, he was starting to play really well again, mm. but never really thought he was going to win it. But just the enormity of what it would have been like in the crucible and in Sheffield that night if he had finally won it, you know, long after anyone had expected him to. But as you say there, 2006 was the last time he was there. I think it was uh, David Gray knocked him out in the, mm. uh, in the first round. And, uh, of course, he's long gone from the circle. Jimmy's still around. John Bennett is our next correspondent. Uh, you, you know, you, you, if you come to this podcast for niche, then this will appeal to you. John says, just to follow on, just to follow on from Roger Bales winning Michael's cousin's 64-man home tournament. Now, I'm not even going to begin to explain any of that. If you weren't listening last week, you missed out. But uh, yeah, uh, he said, I know you mentioned he won a pairs event with Clive Everton. He also won the 1983 Autumn Open at Pontins Prestatin, beating Gary Filtner 7-0 in the final. Talking of Roger winning a bus drivers tournament. <laughs> we are literally I mean, there's thousands of podcasts in the world okay we are literally the only podcast in the world right now talking about Roger Bales right? this is this is a badge of honour this is what killed off the world snooker podcast yeah uh, they, they didn't have Roger Bales um, yes talking of Roger winning a bus driver's tournament got me thinking of Ewan Henderson winning the police snooker championships a few oh, times yeah. Got me thinking what players are doing now. I'll start off with a very unusual one. Scottish professional Jim Donnelly, who was the first Scot to play in the World Championship at the Crucible, 1982, became an aerobics teacher. And although I'm not sure if he still does this, he was certainly still teaching aerobics into his 60s. Well, of course, the, the, the brutal fact is a lot of the pros who didn't sort of become world champion and didn't get TB work and, and all the rest of it had to go and get other jobs. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a very honest thing to do. The one people always ask about, of course, is Tony Mio, because he's probably the, the big 80s star that didn't sort of go into the media. And uh, people always uh, people always ask what he's doing. And what he's doing is he, he runs a very successful sort of jewellery, watch and jewellery company in London, I believe. Jimmy's still in contact with him. Um, so that's what he's doing. But let us know if you were uh, out there, if you know of any other uh, snooker players in the wild, as it were. 
you mentioned the Scottish professional there, Jim Donnelly. Uh, Murdo McLeod, first mm-hmm. Scot ever to win a match at the Crucible back in 1987. One of the first conversations I ever had with Phil, which I think gave me an indication of what I was going to be putting with from him over the next 20 years or so, was there was a discussion in the press room at a tournament about what some of these guys were doing now. And Phil mentioned that Murdo McLeod was a baker. Now, Q, what seemed like eternity mm. of uh, puns about, you know, need the dough and all the rest of it. And I always remember he, he got a bit where he, he, I think he actually may have stood up to say, and he retired from snooker because his game was going stale. And he <laughs> collapsed into absolute, you know, mountains and rivers of laughter at 10 minutes afterwards, which I have to say was solo laughter. No one else was joining in with it. But uh, yeah, I mean, th- that is the th- it's not like other sports, you, you know, where have reached any kind of level of, of fame in the game, probably made enough money out of it to not work again. Of course, some players don't look after their money in other sports, but certainly snooker players at that time could be quite high profile and actually ranked maybe 30 or 40 in the world, but maybe not really have earned a massive amount out of the game. So a lot of players of that era would have gone on and done other things, and it's always fascinating to hear what they are. Yeah, Murdo McLeod, his, his, his shop actually got broken into recently, um, but they, they, they caught the guy. He got done with baking and entering, so that's, uh, that's that oh, one. Yeah. That's, uh... <sighs> that's probably one of the ones Phil made 20 years ago. I really, I really hope that the connection cut out there and people didn't have to hear that. Anyway, we move on. We move on. Steve Hooley, he says, thank you for all the... Thank you all for providing a fantastic and interesting distraction during lockdown. I'm, re- I'm a regular listener... I've always enjoyed the content, including Michael's terrible gags. How about that? Oh, right. A few yeah. more of them there for you. Yeah. He says, I was very surprised by the Q&As that Stephen Hendry's done during lockdown. What, with his reputation of being distant and aloof, he was the last person I would have thought of to take this job on. Thank God he did. They were unmissable viewing for any snooker fan. Fascinating insight into the world of the snooker elite. But having seen most of them now, it proves how similar in life we all are, watching Netflix, bad haircuts, etc. Another quick point, at the Tour Championship recently, they cut to Judd Trump on the practice table before his first match. Jill Douglas was saying how everyone had travelled in alone and were isolated from everyone outside the venue. However, picking balls out of the pockets was Jack, Judd's brother. Can you shed any light on this? Well, yes, Steve. Basically, uh, it was the case at the Championship League that players had to come alone, and it, it was changed for the Tour Championship, although it wasn't very widely publicised, which is, I guess, why Jill didn't know. In fact, I didn't know until I saw Jack at the venue. Um, so players were allowed to take one guest each. Uh, Judd took Jack. Mark Allen brought a friend of his. I think everyone else actually did come alone, though. So that's why you saw Jack there. Uh, and on the Hendry thing, yeah, he did these uh, Instagram lives. Um, yeah, I, mean, I suppose once upon a time he would have been an unlikely person to do that because at one stage he didn't want to talk to anybody, certainly not the media when he when he got beat. Um, but uh, I was thinking about that. You know, there's probably only two people who could have pulled it off, him and Steve Davis, because the players all respect Hendry and Davis. There's other players, even you know, well-known champions who might not have been able to arrange it. But if Hendry and Davis ring you up and say, listen, I'm doing this 8 o'clock Thursday can, can you come on? You're going to say yes, aren't you? And, and he did them well. And they were. it was just good to have a couple of sort of, you know, ch- uh, players chatting away. And, uh, yeah, it proved very popular. And they are, I believe, on YouTube if, uh, if people haven't seen them. So they can go back uh, can go back and watch them. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, you, people talk about Stephen being distant and aloof. And maybe the thing was said about the other man you mentioned there, Steve Davis and his hater. Guys like that, and Nick Faldo is someone from another sport, say the same. They say, look, I'm not at tournaments to make I'm not at tournaments to join in all the banter, as it would be described today. I'm there to beat these guys tournaments. And if by not speaking to them, not mixing with them, I can develop more of an aura around myself and give myself that little bit of an edge, 
that can be a further advantage in trying to beat them. So that's what those guys did at the time. As much as anything, it was an act they put on. And, you know, those of us who spend any sort of time around Steve in particular, and also Stephen in recent times, they're actually pretty down to earth. And, you know, now they're not playing anymore, even more so. Well, definitely. I mean, they don't have the pressure of having to keep up that sort of front of being the, you know, the champion. And when Davis started losing, he definitely relaxed uh, tournaments. Anyway, uh, we continue. Scott McCarter, regular correspondent. He said, I turned 22 on the 14th of July, which was, yet, which was yesterday as we record this. Um, a day before Melbourne Inman. In fact, uh, his birthday today as we record this on the 15th of July. Melbourne Inman won the first ever match in the World Championship, 1926, beat Tom Newman. Uh, anyway... Uh, he says, I emailed detailing my, my so far one and only visit to the Crucible in 2012. Dad and I arrived and went to the Winter Gardens. The BBC afternoon transmission was ending. And afterwards, Ken Doherty came over. I was asking him what it, what it was like to win the World Championship in 1997. Perceiving my youth, I was 13 at the time, Ken retorted in a jocular manner, surely you were not born. I said, correct, but I was born the next year when you were beating the final. <laughs> it's nice of you, Scott. Despite having no vivid, despite having no vivid memory firsthand of the cruise before 2010, I put the World Championships of 98 and 99 as two of the top editions of the World Championship ever played. He says thanks for everything. As a soon-to-be 22-year-old, well, he is now because it's his birthday yesterday. I enjoy, I enjoy your obscure cultural references. Well, to be fair, Scott, they're, I mean, if you're 22, they're probably all going to be obscure. Um, but, uh, but thank you. Yeah, we I mean, we don't know anything that's happened in the last 22 years. So. Definitely not. I mean, yeah, to be fair, they were great tournaments. The one John won in 98, uh, he played fantastically. And of course, 99 was a great event, which ended in a historic win for Stephen Hendry. So and they were the two world championships that I, I did as World Snooker Press Officer as well. Um, they've got a special you know place in, in snooker history for that. I was going to that note, isn't it sobering that we're getting communication there from someone who wasn't even born when you and I worked at the world championship? I know, yeah. It's, uh, if I wasn't on a podcast, I'd take a moment to consider that, but we must plough on. Uh, James Cook is our correspondent in America, um, driving around, having, having a, a great time by the sounds of it, and sending pictures just to let me know how, how great a time he's having. <laughs> he says, great, greetings from Idaho Falls, Idaho, where the COVID Refugees US Tour finds itself this week. He said, me and the family listened to the latest podcast on the drive. Everyone in the car enjoyed the listen. They might not enjoy this week's by the, by the way it's going with the, with the, with the Wi-Fi. And, and he said, and of course, the mention of my previous email, after you graciously compared me to Tony Knowles, the wife, of course, asked me who he is. I could only say he's a snooker star from Bolton, lest comparisons be made by her between him and I about his colourful off-the-table exploits. Probably quite wise, I would say, James. He said, I enjoyed the Crucible Curse discussion and the debate about how best to measure ranking titles. I quite like the percentage win idea alongside the absolute number of wins. They use this in other sports. The one that springs to mind is cricket with batting and bowling averages, as well as total wickets and runs to enable objective comparisons. So it could be done, in my opinion. I'd be interested in your thoughts on adding a stat average break to perhaps encourage players to clear the table once past the winning post in a frame. Might be hardly possible to do, but perhaps doable for the current season. Could even be a prize the highest average break for the season. Well, it's interesting you say that, James, because in Southport, um, the Players' Championship, there was a discussion in the media room there about coming up with the equivalent of, say, the three-dart average in darts and, you know, averages in cricket and other sports that you mentioned. And the, the discussion was ongoing. And I think it was Phil Seymour, the MC, who actually came up with the idea of the average break. Um, and 
someone said, well, how, you know, how on earth could you possibly work, work out what it is? Within about 20 minutes, uh, Geraint from Sport Radar, who's uh, one of the unsung heroes backstage, had basically printed yeah. off this, printed off this season's average breaks. He just t- put something in the computer and out it came. And I think Ronnie O'Sullivan was top of it, which suggests it's, it's actually a stat that, you know, has some has some merit to it. I think that the thing with these things is, you know, that they're always kind of interesting to have, but that's all they really are. They don't affect anything on the table. It's just interesting background. A lot of people really like stats. A lot of people don't have no interest in them at all. But it might be something that you know could be, could be developed possibly in the future. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that stat. I, I was there. Actually. I remember on the day of the final, uh, Roddy from World Snoop showed me that list, and there were. So, I know Ronnie was top of really strange anomalies in it that made you think well you know what does this even mean if this player is that high on the list this other player is that low and I mean I think there's a bit too much talk about breaks because I know that obviously the game is built around them but you know a a decent like clearance from the third last red is if a lot of the balls are awkward is maybe you know a better achievement than a 70 or an 80 so I'm not really sure what you read into it some of the stats and there's so many of them now things like safety success and long pot and all the rest but there's only so far you can take them but they do tell you something about a player's strengths and weaknesses and how they've played in a particular match so stats like that have a place but the average thing it's, it's just a matter of opinion it's not something i'm particularly keen on here's the great anomaly with the pot success it seems you know a credible thing if, if it's 99 percent. that sounds brilliant but it doesn't account for running out of position which is obviously a key part of how a break can go wrong. It's not just missing. It's actually losing position and then having to play safe. I've done matches where I've done matches where players are high pot success and they haven't really made any breaks. They've, they potted the balls they've gone for, but they've been in and, and lost position. So maybe I think they did try positional success at one point, but the, the danger is you just overload people with, it, with all this stuff. Anyway, uh, the things for the for the things for the geeks to think about. Uh, we have an email here from Germany. Exactly. We have an email here from Germany, Christian Thomas Berger. He says, I'm from Germany and I write this before listening to the podcast because I wanted to tell you my original thoughts of which there are two on this subject. The first thought is, if the World Championship hadn't hadn't been held, then I think World Snooker would still have advertised Judd Trump as the reigning champion. So he would have retained the title but not defended it. So the curse question couldn't have been decided here, really, because some say the curse says the first time winner is unable to defend the title and others say the curse says he's unable to retain it. I think the thing about that, Christian, is it, it, you'd be pretty cursed not to play the tournament at all, never mind the, the traditional curse that, that we discussed last week. Uh, and he says, the second thought is, if the World Championship had been held at another venue, like Neil Fold suggested, maybe Berlin, which would have made me really happy, obviously, then I would like to ask you, if Trump had won it there, would he have broken the curse? The question is here, is the curse in, <laughs> fact, related, is the curse in fact related to the Crucible building or to the Crucible era? I think it's rather related to the building. And he would have lost the title, not won at the, alter- at the alternative venue. Would this be in favour of the saying the curse is real? Still, yes, if you relate the curse to the era, but no, if you relate it to the building, because it would then have happened at another venue, which would mean the curse isn't real because it wasn't related to the crucible. Yes, we have time in our hands, he says, but, well, indeed we do, uh, Christian. Well, I mean, there's a lot of ifs and buts in that, isn't there? The, 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 Neil Folds uh, did, did suggest Berlin. He was, he was asked... You know, if it could go anywhere else, and the Temperdrome is a great venue, but the issue is very simple: that the, the World Championship has to be staged in Sheffield. They have the contract for it, so they get. If if it was not possible for them, if they if they literally said, "Look, we can't put it on," um, then potentially it could go somewhere else. Here's the thing: no one noticed though when the deal was done. I think was it 2016, 2017 when the deal was done, the 10-year deal. It, the deal wasn't for the Crucible. The deal was for Sheffield. 
And no one yeah. sort of picked no one sort of picked up on this. So they they could actually stage it. Say the crucible was out of bounds, they could actually stage it somewhere else in Sheffield. Um, but as it stands at the moment, it's going out at the crucible. We talked about the curse last week, and we kind of decided it's not a curse. But I think the crucible curse, it, the clue is in the name. It's got to be at the crucible, isn't it? Look, it's not a, it's not even that good a stats outlining last week. Not many players have won at the Crucible more than once at all. Very few have retained it. So I just I don't even think it's that good a stats. So to call it a curse as well. I mean, here's a cultural reference young Anne will get. It's beginning to sound like an episode of Scooby Doo. You know, where Shaggy <laughs> and Thelma and the guys secretly solve the curse of the Crucible. I mean, I just really hope actually Judd Trump does win it. So we don't have to. We'd have to put up with a lot of it for a few days. The curse of the crucible finally broken, but then we'd never hear about it again. Um, but yeah, I suppose it would have been interesting if they had moved it. But here's the thing: I didn't hear Neil suggesting that. What? Why? Why? Why was he suggesting Berlin? Any particular reason? Well, I just think because it's a great venue, um, and they certainly have. They, you know, in normal circumstances, they would have an audience. You'd, you'd pretty much fill it. Um, but it would be to me like the whole. I mean, I've I've only ever known the world Challenge at the crucible. And yeah. the whole the whole format and the whole feel of it is suited there. I think if you just picked up that format and put it somewhere else, it wouldn't be the same. It, the Crucible is a massive part of the World Championship, the whole arena uh, and the whole rest of it. So uh, although the Temper Drums a great venue, I mean, Ali Carter said have it at, at Alexandra Palace, didn't he? Well, no, that's again, it's a different venue. It's perfect for the Masters, the World Championship. Is, is a crucible tournament. And that's not to say, you know, obviously 20 years time it'll be held there. We just don't know. But it, so much of what people think of the tournament is related to the venue. It's not just who wins and who loses. Well, well what was the thing someone said years ago? The crucible is as synonymous with snooker as Wembley is with tennis. So uh, <laughs> sli- sli- <laughs> slightly wrong on that. But yeah, look, you, you move the world champion out of the crucible. It's not going to be the same event anymore. And people will realise after a few days of the first year of it being somewhere else. The Crucible is so much a part of it all. Um, and, you know, the, the, it leaves there. It's not the same event anymore. Next, next email is from Dave O'Neill, who's cutting right to the heart of the big issues here. He says, why has there never been any clamour for the return of Big Break? I mean, Bullseye has stayed in the public consciousness and we've seen recent rehashes of that, but no Big Break. Are the BBC missing a trip there? I'd love to say I'm writing this from some exciting far-flung destination, like some other recent listeners. But unfortunately, I'm originally from the West Midlands and now living in the Northeast. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, Dave. I'm from the West Midlands. Um, Big Break, just to explain uh, to people who don't know, was a, a popular game show on British TV. It ran for, I guess, about 10 years. It used to be on sort of Saturday tea time. A nice little show, very simple show. It was a quiz, and you had members of the public and three members of the public, they each partnered a snooker player, you could win prizes. Uh, the prizes now would look ridiculous, uh, you know, by modern standards where basic shows all seem to give away large cash prizes. But um, it was a nice little show. It got snooker players on. Uh, John Virgo, was uh, he, he was one of the co-hosts. But this made me actually wonder what happened to the other presenter, Jim Davidson, who was a big star on, the, on, on British television for a long time. He, he presented The Generation Game, which was another big show and had his own stand-up shows and whatever. Um, and the answer is he's now got his own YouTube channel. And I, I looked it up the other day. And my, well, my goodness. I mean, if you talk about reduced circumstances, it's basically like it's basically like a sort of a sort of well, I, I, I'm not going to pull any punches. A ranting, a ranting loon, basically. He sits there 
dissecting the, the issues of the day through his own prism, which is a very right wing one. And uh, and for a stand up comedian, he didn't. I mean, I only watched a couple of them, but for a stand up comedian, he seems to have lost his sense of humour completely about everything. So if they did bring it back, I think they would need a new host. The problem is, I know what would happen if he came back. They would think, well, we can't just do it straight like we did before. We'd have to make it sort of ironic and, and edgy and arch and all that, and and they'd just ruin it probably. Yeah, they probably wouldn't. Yeah. They probably, they probably wouldn't be any snooker in it. it. That that's the modern way of doing things, isn't it? It'd come back and it'd be sort of let's do it in an ironic way rather than just properly. It was a big show in its time. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed it. I don't see any prospect of it returning, to be honest. No, and uh, the other thing as well, it wouldn't just be the simple format of answering questions and potting snoozeballs. You know, there'd be bonus points for getting the most reads on Twittergram or whatever, and <laughs> people would be saying, oh, well, you know, this is reaching out to increasing diverse audiences across all platforms. And it mm. wouldn't be a simple old show that it used to be. The other problem is, if they bring back Big Break, they'd probably want to give ranking points, because, of course, we do have another game show nowadays. It's called The Shout. There we go, a little, little dig there. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so and now, uh, our last email before we get on to our predictions for the qualifiers is, of course, from Dave Tyndall. Um, so, oh, Dave, yeah. just to bring everyone up to speed, Dave's been playing basically fantasy tournaments on his own table, and he's been playing the current World Championship. Now, last week, in our cliffhanger, um, we got up to the quarterfinals. So, he says, um, he says, last week I got to the last date of my Parallel Universe World Championship. The quarterfinal lineup was Yang Bing Tao versus Karen Wilson, Dave Gilbert versus Jack Lazowski, Stuart Bingham versus Ronnie O'Sullivan, Mark Selby versus Neil Robertson. Okay, so an update. In the top half, Karen Wilson came from four down with five to play to beat Yan Bing Tao, and Jack Lazowski defeated Dave Gilbert. In the bottom half, Stuart Bingham knocked out a subdued Ronnie O'Sullivan, and Neil Robertson won an entertaining encounter with Mark Selby. In the semis, Lazowski froze, and Karen Wilson dominated from the start to reach the first, his first final. And he was joined there by Neil Robertson, who won a high-scoring contest against Bingham. The thing about this is, what well, everything he just said there, you could actually see happening. Anyway, he says... Absolutely, uh, yeah. To make, the with these yeah. He says, to make good of my promise of ordering the curly blonde David Gower Henry off neighbour's wig if Robertson went all the way, the final will be played this week. So you see he's keeping us in suspense. He's playing the final this week. Then again, with hairdressers reopening, part of me thinks Robertson may have had his original Barnet restored, so now I could be misrepresenting him. Talking of Robins, Robertson, I've been doing some research on winners' trends at the Crucible, and there are some interesting findings. He says, looking at the last 10 winners, seven of the 10 were in their 30s, Eight had already reached a Crucible final. Seven had already won a ranking tournament earlier that season. Uh, nine were seeded in the top ten. If I apply, apply those filters to this year's field, the three left standing are Robertson, Selby and Sean Murphy. All are in the 30s. All have reached a final and all have won it. In fact, all three have won a ranking event this season. They're all seeded in the top ten. So is fate guiding us towards Neil Robertson as the, as the Aussie Southpaw now looks ideally placed to pull off an unprecedented double by winning both my daft 6x3 version and the World Championship itself. It would certainly be a unique double, wouldn't it? Um, now, here's the thing. Next week, um, all being well, it won't, it, I'll be actually doing a slightly different version of the podcast because I'm at the qualifiers. I'm going to be interviewing, hopefully, the director of a new snooker-themed film. So that means we won't actually find out the winner of Dave's tournament now for two weeks. So that's that's what you call suspense. But uh, do, let us, do let us know. It's a Neil Robertson... Yeah. Neil Robertson, Karen Wilson. Right. So if Karen Wilson wins it, Dave will have to play another tournament to see whether he can break the curse of Dave Tyndall's house. <laughs> don't worry, don't think he won't, won't have thought of that. Anyway, um, onto the re- onto the real tournament. So a few weeks ago, we 
course, predicted our semi-finalists, but it was based entirely on uh, the, the top 16 because at that point the draw hadn't come out with the qualifiers in. Well, now the draw has come out. Now, uh, readers of the WST website, of which I'm sure there are many, will have seen that uh, they did a little thing this week asking they call them experts. I was one of them, so make of that what you will. But experts to predict the 16 qualifiers. So we looked at the draw. It was myself, Phil Yates, uh, Neil Fault, and Hector Nunns, I think, were the four. So we just picked out the 16 names. And we're going to do exactly the same here. So obviously, I've already made my choices, but Michael's going to do his yeah. as well. So we're going to start. Obviously, there's uh, players coming at different stages. There's four rounds. Some players come in the first round, some the second, and everyone else in the third the top section features the top seed in terms of the qualifiers. Joe Perry, there's Champeng Fei, Sonia Carney, and various others. I mean, I've gone for Perry. Uh, what, what about you? The same again. Um, I, I was looking at Sonia Carney there. I just have a feeling, you know, he might have a shot at it. But in the end, I think Perry, you know, he, he's he's got so much experience. I think that will count a lot in the end. So, yeah, I've gone for Perry as well. Okay, next section... Uh, the seeded players who come in the third round are Ryan Day and Hussein Vafaya. Because Ryan Day had a terrible season until Championship League. Hussein uh, Vafaya would be the first Iranian to play at the Crucible. And there's other players in there like Craig Stebbin, who's played there before, Jordan Brown, who's uh, practices with Mark Allen. My choice actually is Vafaya in this section. Yeah, I'm going for him as well. He's a player who about a year or two ago we thought was you know, really making great strides. Hasn't quite built on it the way we would have expected to. But as you say... Day has really slipped a bit. He's actually below Vafai in the ranking now. So, yeah, could be the time for the first Iranian for him. Okay, the third section, there's there's a, an outside chance here that Peter Lyons could play Oliver Lyons' his son yes. in, the, in, the, in the final round, but we'll, we'll deal with that as yeah. and when. Um, there's Stuart Carrington there. He's played at the Crucible. Tom Ford, of course. Lu Hong Hao, of course, was whitewashed last year. Gerald Green as well in there. Um Personally, though, I can't really look past Tom Ford. I think he, he, he's a player who you just think should be higher up in their rankings. On his day, he's very, very good. Yeah, I agree entirely. Lu Hong Hao, another player, you know, he's in that section, but another player who hasn't kicked on, he thought he might, a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I agree with you, uh, Tom Ford, for that section. OK, well, I'm sure we're not going to agree on all of them, but uh, let's see uh, what what is occurring in the next section. So this is some real old stalwarts here. Ken Doherty, of course, former champion, trying to keep his tour card. Got Mark King, Michael Holt, the shootout winner. Um, Tor Chan Leong as well. And, of course, Julian Boyko, the youngest ma- uh, player ever to play in the World Championship. Only 14 from Ukraine. Uh, my tip is Holty here. In fact, I think uh, the four of us, when we did it on the website, we only agreed actually on two on two names. And I'm pretty sure Michael Holt was one of them. But what, what say you? Yeah, I mean, that was my initial thought. But the feeling, Ian Burns has never played at the Crucible. And he's someone who, on his day, played really, really well. I mean, Neil Robertson certainly found that to his cut at the Welsh a couple of seasons ago. So, uh, yeah, my initial thought was Holty. But I'm actually just going to go for Ian Burns just because I feel he's, you know, a good enough player to play there at some stage. And it hasn't happened for him <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing about the qualifiers is it, it, it's not... I, I think, and we'll see this next week if you watch it on Eurosport, that it's not necessarily about playing well there. It's just about finding ways to win. You can save your form for the Crucible. It's a different sort of week. It's not... You know, you can pick out what you think are the best players, but actually match play and just sort of will to win are, are very important as well. I mean, I think Ian Burns have got that, but I'm going to stick with, uh, with Holty. Next section, 
uh, features a former champion, Graham Dotts, who's got a great record actually in qualifying. We've got Martin Gould in there as well. Chris Wakelin, who uh, took Trump the distance a couple of years ago. David Grace, po- podcast listener. Uh, but despite that, David, I'm afraid I can't see past Graham Dot because he just always seems to qualify. Yeah, and the way they've set up the, uh, the qualifiers this year, the players who are just outside the top 16 are playing, you know, well, are seeded to play in the final qualifying round. Players who are much lower down the rankings, that's the way it works. So, uh, yeah, completely agree with you. He's had a, a great revival the last couple of years. Really, really consistent, particularly getting through the early rounds of tournaments over the last year or so. So, uh, yeah, 2006 champion and uh, runner-up also a couple of times. I'm going for him. Next section features a twice runner-up, Matthew Stevens, former semi-finalist Ricky Walden. A man who's played at the Crucible but not in the World Championship, John Astley, of course, played in the, the play of the nap. Yeah trying to get there for real, as it were. But my choice, actually, is I think if you look at all the players on tour, you could argue the best player never to play there is Mark Joyce. And I think it's about time he played there. So I'm going to go for Mark. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with your assessment of uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he did manage to break that this time. But I'm just going for Matthew Stevens. Maybe it's all those years and years of going to the Crucible every year. Uh, not expecting much of Matthew Stevens because he hasn't had a good season, and then seeing him just turn it on for the World Championship. Whether or not that applies to the qualifying rounds, I don't know. But again, he's someone who's come back and had a little bit of a revival over the last couple of years. Uh, so I'm going to go for Stevens to get through. But I mean, I, I agree as well, it would be no surprise at all if, if Joyce was finally taken. Next section features the man who's qualified the most times in terms of actually coming through the qualifiers. That's Mark Davis. He's qualified 10 times. Anthony McGill, former quarterfinalist, although he's fallen back a little bit since then. And of course, James Cahill, who had that great achievement last year, qualifying as an amateur, beat Ronnie O'Sullivan, very nearly beat Steve McGuire as well, lost in the decider. However, I'm actually going to go for him. It seems a bit of a left field choice. My choice here is Jack Jones. He seems to be vastly improved. He's had some good results, sort of slightly below the radar. And you always get players like this coming through. You know, you look at players who qualify, you think possibly they're not going to do much damage at the Crucible, but, you know, they can qualify. And I think he might fall into that category. It'd be a great achievement, obviously, for him to make his debut. Yeah, it's quite odd. This section, isn't it? Because Sam Baird, I mean, he's been to the Crucible and performed well there. He, he's in there. He could uh, do some damage, as you say. James Cahill, well, I mean, the top players will be hoping he doesn't qualify because he seems to raise his game so much when he's playing the very best. So it's wide open, this one, but I just have a feeling McGill might actually get through. So I'm picking him. Yeah, quite a few of the other guys uh, went along with that. So, so far, uh, just looking down the list here, we've got we've had seven players and we've agreed on four of them. Uh, the next the next one, and this was the other one, I mentioned Holty on the, on the website piece. This was the other one everyone agreed on, which is Tepchar and Noon. Now, he's in a section yeah. that inclu- includes Dominic Dale, is uh, you know a very experienced player in that section. Liam Highfield, who, who blows a little hot and cold. Lou Ning, you know, hasn't pulled up too many trees. You've got to say Tepchar, I don't mean, I'm not speaking for you, but he's got to be the favourite, certainly, in that section. Massive favourite. And I, I agree. I think he will get through and I think it would be great if he did because it's obviously fantastic to have as as international field as possible and uh, he's such such a great player to watch the style he has if he was to go in a run through the championship it would be great so yeah I'm going for on new as well okay so that's halfway down and uh, on the, the bottom half of the draw starts with of course someone who had that great run last year Gary Wilson got to the semi-finals and has a good season since as well you've got Daniel Wells in there trying to get there for the first time Andrew Higginson 
But actually, again, I'm, I'm sort of bucking the trend a little bit. A lot of people went for Wilson, and I understand why, but I think Gary, I mean, he's favourite definitely in the section, but he's under pressure to qualify. I mean, what happened last year, he, he must go there thinking, you know, I've got, I've got to get there again. And who knows, that might have an effect on him. The player I'm going for is someone I, I rate very highly, which is Alexander Ersenbacher, of course, Switzerland's only professional um, he, he again, he does blow hot and cold. He's very inconsistent, but he's sort of player I could see getting on a run, and he, he seems very confident in himself. If he could start playing well there, you know, he could he could possibly get to the crucible. I agree with what you're saying about him. The, the times I've seen him play and wondered why he hasn't gone on to do much more. And I all agree with what you say about Gary Wilson because you know you, you mentioned his name. That's what people think of. It's that great run he had. Uh, last year and I also agree that I think he may put a bit much pressure on himself he's very very hard on himself he always is uh, we saw that particularly after he was in the semis last year that he wasn't giving himself a great deal of credit for it but still just because he's a really really good player who's found a bit more consistency in the last 12 to 18 months I'm going to go for Garrison yeah I think all the others actually did as well so it's another slight deviation from uh... Well, I said, which is good. Next section, um, we've got in the final, the seeded players that were supposed to meet each other, the Minister of Defence, Martin O'Donnell and Ben Wollaston. Of course, they both they both showed a bit of form at the, uh, the Championship League. Elliot Slesser's in there, Mike Dunn as well. Uh, I like the look of O'Donnell, actually. I think he's got a good attitude. I know he, he got criticised a bit for pace of his play in the Championship League, but he's a hard worker. He's the sort of player who you could see winning a really long best of 19, sort of 10-9 to get through. Yeah, it's again the open section, and you even look at the guys coming in, in the first round, uh, the likes of Andrew Paget, but Lily maybe asking a, a bit much to actually make it through the four rounds and qualify, but see them doing some damage along the way. It's a really, really call this one though between O'Donnell and Wollaston. I'm just going to go for Wollaston. I think he's only been there once, uh, but I just fancy him to uh, to get through. Okay, the next section. Uh, Noppen Senkam and Lou Hyacin are the seeded players. Both played at the Crucible before, as of course is Nigel Bond, former runner-up. Mm. Uh, we, we've got Ed and Sharaf in there. And the player I'm going to tip, uh, someone who's been out of form, but you know, there's always flashes when you see him play that you think, surely if he could just get it back together again, Michael White. Now, in a way, it's, it's a bit of a bold choice because tour survival is an issue for him as well. He's a bag of nerves at the best of times, but he's a player, yeah. I think, he's one of these natural players. If he can get a bit of momentum going, you know, you could see him You could see him coming through. A very talented player. Lest we forget, he was a quarter-finalist at the World Championship. That's right. I'm going to go for him as well, actually. Very hard to pick at this section. Um, I think it's very open. Duhai Shang could get through. Again, some of those who hasn't kicked on, like a lot of the Chinese players, actually. Um, uh, the way we expected them to. Sankam, player on his day, but doesn't have enough days. Uh, I'm going to go for White. And if you, we're, you're mentioning Bond there, this year, it's uh, the 25th anniversary of his run to the final. Yeah, and of course, 95 when he got to the final, that was the last time the Crucible stage started on a Friday. So if, he, if he's looking for omens, maybe, maybe that's it. You've got to get there first, of course. Yeah, though. I didn't know what you said there, but anyway. Uh, okay, we continue. Next section, Next section. possibly the most interesting, looking at the names here. We've got Anthony Hamilton, Crucible Stalwart. Scott Donaldson played there last year. Of course, won the year's first Championship League, first uh, pro title. Harvey Chandler showed a bit of form at the Championship League. Sam Craigie as well played well there. We've got Rayan Evans there, the 12 times Women's World Champion. Andy Hicks, former semi-finalist. Jackson Page, highly rated 
young Welsh player. So a lot of interesting names there. I'm going to give the nod. I think a lot of people were looking at Craigie. I'm going to give the nod to Scott Donaldson. I think uh, I know he wasn't too happy with how he played there last year. He played Kyron at the Crucible. But he, he did well to qualify and he has improved since. And I think, you know, he's I think he's beat Ding three times any this season. So he, he's someone who I'm not sure he's someone you'd want to play at the Crucible. He's very dogged. You know, he can graft out wins, which is important in long matches. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to Scott. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. But again, a lot of players in there. You, well, Andy Hicks, of course, like Nigel Bond, it was 25 years on from his best crucible. The year he was the semifinals, that was 95 as well. Jackson Pay, interesting, you know, because there aren't many players who look who are starting in the first round who you think might have a sniff of getting through. Now, we're waiting for Pay to really explode into his full potential. Now, it's as likely to happen here as anywhere else particularly as it's not the normal best of 19 all the way. He can go through a few best of 11s. So he's one of the very few players coming in from round one who I would give any sort of chance uh, to get through. But I do think in the end, Donaldson is a player who has improved a huge amount uh, the last while and ultimately you have to pick him, really. Yeah, I'm sure at least one player will come through from the first round, as you say, but it's, it's picking them. But uh, yeah, Scott Donaldson, uh, Scott Donaldson, I think certainly over best in 19, I'd fancy. Next section, we mentioned already, Jimmy White, six times world, uh, six times runner-up in the World Championship, I should say. Uh, world Senior Champion and uh, ever favourite. Uh, Michael Giorgio, who narrowly failed to be whitewashed last year, he, he won uh, frame 10 against Neil Robertson. Robert Milkins, the Milkman, stalwart at the Crucible, Jimmy Robertson, of course, uh, ranking event winner in the last couple of years. So, again, interesting names there. I think very often at the Crucible, uh, in terms of qualifiers, experience does tell. And Robert Milkins has got a good record of qualifying, so I'm going to give it him. Yeah, you know, you look at this section, and the highest-ranked player in it by distance is Jimmy Robertson. Well, it's a bit of a false looking for him. He's got a lot of points to come off in the not-too-distant future. So I think this is a real opportunity, actually, for someone lower down the rankings to, to go through this section. And for that reason, I'm going to go for Ashley Carty. Interesting. I think Neil Falls on the website went for the Chinese player, Si Jua He. He's the kid who beat Bingham uh, at the English Open earlier in the season. Yeah. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting if if, uh, if that were to happen. Uh, I should say that we, the, we did a few years ago, about four years ago now, they did on the web, on the same website, World Snooker, as it was then, uh, Eurosport Prediction League with all the commentators around Europe. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I, I had a disaster. Every, I mean, I was like, talk about crucible curse. I was the biggest jinx ever. Everyone I tipped were going out in the first round. And, and I think I was last going into the World Championship, but thankfully I tipped Mark Selby. Who rescued my position a little bit, but even so, I'm not the best. I haven't got the best record in tipping. I've got to say. So all the players that I've tipped, you, you know, you might think I'm being nice to you, but you might think again uh, come the next week or so. Anyway, next section uh, we have Kurt Mathlin uh, from Norway, of course. Matt Selt, they both played at the Crucible. Lee Walker's a former quarter finalist. We've got uh, Joe O'Connor uh, from Leicester. Alan Taylor as well, of course, he's got a big uh, challenge tour. Day coming up yes. next Monday. Uh, Sahil Vahidi, who, uh, again, I mentioned Phil Hay from the Metro last week. He's done an interview this week with Sahil Vahidi, which is terrific, actually. Again, he's talking about the difference between coming from Iran and playing snooker and, and being from the UK. And he talks about living in Darlington and he talks about John Higgins and all sorts of things. Anyway, so they're, they're the main players in this section. I, I found this actually the hardest to choose. I was I was slightly leaning towards Lee, Walk, Lee Walker because his style of play can sort of grind people down in the end though I've just edged towards Matt Silt 
Yeah, I mean, Fahidi's another one who could just give us a bit of a chance to uh, getting through from the first round. He'd be expected to beat Alan Taylor. If he did, he'd play Lee Walker, who's one of the lowest of the seeded players in that round, as it were. Uh, but I still won't quite go for Fahidi. I, I, it's a close call, actually, between Celta and Mufflin. I'm actually just going to give it to Mafflin. actually. He's been there before and almost beat Selby five years ago. Uh, he's someone who a lot was expected of when he was very young. Hasn't happened for him, really, in anything like the way we would have expected. But in some respects, his best snooker has actually played quite a late stage in his career, i.e. the last few years. So uh, just uh, edging it for him. OK, we've got two more little sections to go. The next one, uh, the Angwen Bo, Luca Brussel, Fogel O'Brien, Rod Lawler, Alfie Burden, all players who played at the Crucible. It could be Lawler v O'Brien in round two, which <laughs> which will be a, which would be a match that could possibly still be going, you know, this time next year. Um, I think a lot of people though looking at it are kind of looking to the the final round. Brussel v Liang Wenbo seems a, a logical final match. Brussel obviously Championship League winner, although they're, they're all short matches. So to what extent you can read his, into his form there in terms of the qualifiers, I don't know. I've actually given it Liang Wenbo. I think uh, he always seems to, obviously, he nearly had the two maximums a couple of years ago there. He always seems really pumped up at the qualifiers. Doesn't always qualify, having said that. But, um, you know, he's one of those players, he, he will be motivated, certainly. And again, you know, it, it, I mean, he, he's, he actually lives in the UK. He's different to the Chinese players. But, you know, for, for the Chinese contingent this year, it's a slightly different event. So I'm just edging towards him, only just. Uh, normally, of course, they start the qualifying on a Wednesday. This year, it's starting on a Tuesday. I can confirm there's no truth to the rumour that they're starting a day early to allow for the possibility of an O'Brien Lawler match, <laughs> uh, which could go on for all eternity. And um, yeah, close call between Brussel and Leanne for me. Just going to give it to Brussel. And I suppose, in honest, it's on very simple logic that obviously he's coming in, having just won the Championship League. There's a limit you can read into that. But I'm just edging it for him. But again, won't be any surprise at all if, if Liang makes it through. And of course, as we know, he's done very well at Crucible in the past, having been quarter finalist 12 years. Yeah, and uh, final section. There's one very dangerous player here in the first round, Robin Hull. Of course, yeah. former pro from Finland, has had a lot of health issues. But, you know, you want to play him in the qualifiers. He's got a lot of, uh, you know, nous and, and tablecraft. Uh, he's in there. We've got Robbie Williams, who uh, actually has had a pretty good record at the qualifying over the years. And the big two are Ali Carter, twice runner-up, and Al McManus, who was a semi-finalist, let's not forget, just four years ago. And uh, people might accuse me of bias because I'm a friend of his, but I have gone for Albert Manus. One of the reasons is I know for a fact he would have been practicing. You know, he's been able to practice and he would have been assiduously going in. That's not to say Ali Carter won't have been, but I think Alan will be ready for the qualifiers. And, you know, why not? He's, uh, he's still a fantastic player. He's got all that knowledge. Um, so I'm going for Albert Manus. Danger players here. You know, you mentioned Hull there. Williams is a good player. Heathcote is someone who I think is going to do a lot. And, you know, we, we mentioned uh, back 1993 when there were all those surprise qualifiers. And a lot of that was down to the unusual form that year because the qualifiers mm. were basically played in September. A lot of players have played their way in. And you have to factor in here that none of these guys in the qualifiers played a ranking tournament match for more than four months. So when these guys, the higher seeded are coming in for them it will be the first time they've played a ranking event since at least march and they'll be up against people who have had a match or two to play their way into it so you got to have things like that in mind and that could make the likes of heathcote 
Williams quite dangerous. In the end, though, just because he is who he is and he's such a good player, I'm just going to shade it for Carter. But yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if McManus get there one last time as well. But I will pick Carter. I think, yeah, I think, you know, I think what we've both done, what everyone's done who's, who's predicted is it's going to be a mix of established players, a, a few sort of middle rankers and hopefully a few newcomers as well, a few debutants. So looking down the list, we've agreed on seven players and on nine players we've differed. Um, but I think on a lot of cases, it's come down to a call between a couple of them. There will be, I'm sure, surprise qualifiers as well. It, it all um, kicks off next Tuesday and uh, just to reiterate, it's four rounds, the first three best of 11. The reason for that is because it's just to get fewer people in the venue every day. And then the last round will be best of 19, played over two days. It's live on Eurosport. It's also live on Matchroom Live. This is the new portal that uh, Matchroom have set up. That's outside of Europe, basically outside of countries that can get Eurosport. So if you live, for example, James Cook, travelling around America, um, if he signs up to Matchroom Live, can watch it on there. Uh, it's it's a different form of snooker, as I say. It's um, It's... All about getting to the Crucible, but also there's Tour Survival going on, and Matt Hewitt will be doing his daily blog and updates on the, the WPBC website. Um, it's still the World Championship. This is the thing. It's never been on TV before. I know a lot of people do go and watch. This is as much the World Championship as the Crucible. It's part of the same tournament, and uh, players will be very proud walking out there on the first day, getting us underway. So I'm I'm looking forward to it, and you'll be you'll be glued to it, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's basically become a four week now. Uh, and mm. it has been for a few years and it's all in one city and basically you have eight days of the qualifying then now it's a, an extra day this time but normally what happens is you then have the draw the next day you then have the media day after that and then of course the championship itself so by the time it finishes it's all been going on for about four weeks and you know we talk about some players are involved from the very start right through to near the end but a lot of these officials and media people they're involved literally you know, non-stop for the four weeks, whatever the results, and uh, it really is quite a slog. But more than ever now, the fact that it's television, it'll be interesting to see now, because uh, I think it's going to be a big hit. I think it's a fantastic uh, set of audience figures throughout. I wonder, you know, everything is, all these new things, I suppose, that are being seen as a one-off. But I wonder, could it be such a success? Qualifiers may end up being shown every year from now. And then it really does become a genuine uh, four event so gonna be interesting to see and you might not see the greatest snooker in a lot of the matches but you'll see fascinating stuff and there's so much at stake for these players a lot of them have had no opportunity really to earn for the last number of months so even from that point of view it's a big deal tour survival is huge and you know when you see players who are looking to get one last hurrah at the crucible or who are looking at there for the first time you really see how it affects their play and i always hark back to that frame between fergal o'brien and dave gilbert three years ago it was one of the most fascinating, intriguing frames of snooker I've ever watched, just because you knew how it meant to the players involved, and it was so evident in the way they were playing. So I think people are going to be in for a real opener as to what the qualifiers are really like. Uh, they tune in uh, from next Tuesday. Yeah, and I'm sure you know we've named all those names, but I'm sure there will be uh, some surprises along the way as well. So that's it for this week. Uh, we all seem to be apologising on this podcast. I think the sound quality has been variable. It may be that my, I don't know. Sometimes you hear it back. It's okay, but it seemed to me Michael was cutting out a few times. Um, hopefully, you got the gist of it. Next week, uh, Wi-Fi permitting, and also. Um, someone getting back to me permitting, I will be talking to Michael Elkin. He's the director of a new snooker-based film called Break. Now, I watched it this morning. The uh, reviews are embargoed until next week, so I can't really say anything about it other than the fact it stars 
uh, in cameo roles as themselves, Liang Wenbo, Jack Lazowski, and Ken Doherty. And he also stars Rutger Hauer. So it's quite a mixed field in terms of uh, in front of the camera. Um, hopefully, as I say, we'll be able to arrange this next week. If not, then I guess we'll be back again. But uh, what I'm saying is there's probably not a lot of point people emailing their predictions because by the time Michael and myself are back in two weeks' time, because the qualifying will be over, and what we're going to do is on the Wednesday – uh, when they, after they make the draw, we're going to go through the first round draw. So that'll be in a couple of weeks' time. But as I say, hopefully next week we'll be talking about the snooker film. You can get in touch with us though, at any point about anything uh, through our email, which is snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. That's snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. Uh, so that is kind of it for this week. Um, unless you've got anything else to say? No, I, I, I just can't wait to find out who wins the uh, the Dave Tyndall fight. Well, indeed. I mean, that's, again, that's... that. That's uh, that's something we're going to have to wait two weeks to find out. Uh, I'm now getting feedback on my ears, so I think that's that's God's way of telling me to stop this. So I'm going to stop this. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back, hopefully, in some form or other next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.